Hello, and welcome to another episode of Under the Radar SFF Books Podcast. My name is Blaze. Thank you so much for joining me wherever you may be listening around the world. If you like the content I create, make sure you like, leave five stars, and make sure you leave a review. It helps the algorithm and helps me create more content, which I always love doing. And I'm pleased to be joined by fantasy author Ryan Cahill, the author of the Bound and the Broken series. Uh, he was entered into the SPBFO contest by Mark Lawrence and it did very, very well. And I'm a huge fan of it. And he is always a rising star in the epic fantasy genre. Ryan, thank you so much for joining me. Welcome. Thank you very much for having me. And I'll welcome you too. You can welcome me. I'll welcome you. Whatever works. It's all good. I just <laughs> wish I had as cool a name as Blaze. Yeah, it's a family name. So didn't get to choose it, but reaping the benefits. I would have chosen it. it. Oh, well, you can take it. Like you, I, have, you have my. I feel like. <laughs> I feel like Homer Simpson being like, you know, when he changed his name to Max Power. Yeah, that was a great episode. That's a great name. Yeah, Max Power. Always good. So your debut series started with uh, Of Blood and Fire. It has done very well in the fantasy community, has hundreds of reviews on Goodreads. And it's only rising as a, as a series, and I can't wait to see what this has in store. How did it all start? with being a fantasy fan what drove you to want to become a writer and some of your influences oh so yeah such a massive question i think like i've just been reading since i was very very young like my my parents used to read to me all the time like all the time and my dad was really really animated with everything he did and he put on a voice for every single character and it's like listening to an audiobook now but this was back in like the 90s and i think he got me the, the first Harry Potter book, the year came out in 1997, um, and that kind of just set everything off for me. Read those books, devoured them, stayed up to midnight for bookstore openings to, to get them, and it just kind of kept going from there. Um, I think kind of like there's always that saying that everyone has a book in them, and I think that was kind of the case with me. I don't have a big background in writing. I started writing December 2020. Um, and then released the book in March 2021. And it's kind of just snowballed. I think it's it's closing in on a thousand reviews on Amazon now, um, which is so cool because I was I would have been happy with a warm gummy bear and, and 10 reviews. That would have been my my day made. Um, but yeah, it's, it's been fantastic since then. I think influences, I think a lot of my influences are quite clear when I write. I, I the, the type of fantasy that I write, I'm not trying to break the genre and break the mold. What I want to do is kind of reintroduce that classic fantasy feel to, to an older audience. Now, when I say older, I just mean older than, than I was when I kind of got to it and I was reading it. Take all the things that I love and, and make them accessible. So kind of, you know, when you read your favorite book and then it's like 10 years later and you remember it a certain way and you go back and read it. And it, it's just not the same because you had that magic when you were a kid and you go back and you go to actually all I'm seeing are, are different issues. I wanted to kind of write the book that I had hoped to go back and read when I was when I was a little bit older. So that's kind of what I'm going for. So my, a lot of the stuff, a lot of my influences are quite clear, like in Tolkien and Robert Jordan, and there's definitely some Christopher Paolini, but it's quite interesting because it gets compared to that. But for me, I think anytime you have a dragon and a boy in a coming of age story, it'll be compared to that. But for me, a bigger influence was Naomi Novik. Right. Um, I read her Temeraire series, I read the first book and absolutely loved it. And then years passed. And then um, my friend turned to me and was like, oh, what did you think of that series? I said, what do you mean series? He said, oh, she has like loads of books in that series. And then he just gave me all of them. And I think I 
read them all in about a week, a week and a half. Wow. And just love them so much. So, yeah, that's that's the uh, Terry Pratchett when it comes to humor. No one can ever touch him. Nope. But I think he's given me the the drive or the boldness to stick a little bit to dashes of humor in here and there because it can be so subjective. A lot of people tend to avoid it. Yeah, Terry Pratchett is definitely the king of humor. Um, no one should even try to attempt to, to match no. that. <laughs> um, it's interesting you say that. Harry Potter was also my introduction to the um, fantasy genre, as I've said over and over again. <laughs> came, home one, came home one day, my mom plopped those four books on the table and said, that's it. I became a fan since then. And also, when it comes to, you said you wanted to write a book that people come back to. It's also interesting yeah. when you find a book, you come back, it's not quite the same. The real gems are the books that you come back to, and it's even better on the reread. Those are the books I absolutely, absolutely strive to find. And I have a feeling that this series is going to be that because there's just so much in in here to unpack. There's so many secrets and so much world building. I just I can't wait to reread it. Um, I have done my best to throw them in. Absolutely. I've I've done that on purpose. You'll see when you go back, there's uh, things and, and people and characters in book one that you just don't even think are anything. And that's kind of on purpose. So after you read book two and then book three and go back, hopefully you'll see those little breadcrumbs connect. Oh, wonderful. Looking forward to that. Um, can you just go into a little bit of how your writing process uh, goes? Do you have everything like all planned out ahead of time? Because there's two types of writers. There's people who plan what's going to happen. There's people who just write and it just unfolds on the page. And the way you've been pushing out books, <laughs> you've been like a writing machine. So I'm just curious to get into <laughs> your, your head a little bit with that. Um, well, I have a belief that th- there is no two type of writer. And I feel like it's, it's just one writer on a big, long spectrum. And I know that sounds like a cop-out answer. It's basically saying the same thing, but it's enough for me because the way I look at it is people who, who pants, so the pants are, your pants are and your plotter. I feel like people who pants are just writing a really, really in-depth outline because they're going to go back and edit it and they're going to edit it thoroughly. So for me, that's what it is. It's almost like the pantsers are the more intense plotters depending. But for me, the way I write is I always know the beginning, the middle, and the end. And I actually try for the last two books, well, actually for the last two books and the novella, I've known the last line before I start writing. So the very last line that's going to be said. And I I like to do that to to keep me on course as to where I'm going and knowing the tone I want the book to end on. Mm -hmm. And then usually what I'll do is I don't plan it out chapter by chapter, but I will know my beginning, middle, and end, and then I'll pick beats, like story beats. And I will say, I have five POV characters or six POV characters, and there's going to be five or six story threads. What things absolutely need to happen for these characters to get from the start to the end the way I want them to be? And I write that down. And then outside of that, I kind of just write. Uh, when I start a chapter, I'll usually do a brief outline, um, like I mean bullet points of what needs to happen in the chapter. But then after that, it's just whatever happens. Uh, just let it go, let it write, and the conversations aren't planned. Or I might say, this character needs to talk to this character about this subject. But how it ends up happening and unfolding is just depends on what happens when I sit down. Oh, that, that's great. That's great insight. With each new novel that you put out or novella that you write, because you are writing one right now, I believe it's The Exile, yep. Uh, yep. also in book three, has your um, method changed at all? Have you grown as a writer over the course of, I know it's only been maybe a year and a half to two years, but how have you changed as a writer over that time? 
I don't even think that I could properly, probably, probably, or properly. My English is killing me here. It's Brain okay. doesn't work sometimes. But um, I don't even think I could properly summarize how much I've changed as a writer, um, both from just a writing perspective, literally, and then also from how I plan and how I write structurally is completely changed. I think when I started at first, it was just sit down and write. I think that's how a lot of people do it. And I found that that was okay, but I needed more structure. And I think I went from like four or 500 words a day to towards the end of the second book, I was writing between five and 7,000 words a day. And it was a huge, huge, huge difference. And I changed completely what I did. I structured my writing. So I wrote in half hour sprints and 30 minutes, 10 minutes break, 30 minutes, 10 minutes break. I did that for, I did blocks of two and a half hours, do that, take a break and do another block of two and a half hours. So I kind of segment my writing into two blocks. All it means is that like, and it's quite simple. It sounds complicated when I say it that way, but it's not at all. So I'll go today. I have time for one block or time for two blocks and I'll sit down and the gauge, the, the aim would be, or the goal would be to, to write 2000 words at least in each block. So essentially it's like saying, I'll write two or 4,000 words today and see what time I have. I find that works so well for me because I kind of set my goals in the half hour sprints and I only have to focus for like a half an hour. And then I get 10 minutes to take a break and walk around and do stuff. And I think, cause I think time is like water. Like it will expand to fill anything you put it in. So if you sit down for six hours, to write 2000 words, it will take you six hours to write 2000 words. Whereas if you have more structure, not everyone works with structure, but I, I find if you have more structure, then you can write that same amount in far less time because you're not given that open-ended thing. So I think that that was a big, huge change for me. And I was only talking to my editor earlier and I was saying how my first draft for the second book was at least 928 times better than my first draft for the first book. And that's just from just learning, just growth, just from getting the edits, from getting beta reader feedback, from reading reviews, from, from learning craft, which I think is so important. Really, really learning your craft and trying to understand how to do things. That's amazing. I can't believe you write up to 4,000 words in a day. I know writers who can't even get that in a week. So it's very, it's, very- it's tough. It's, it's not it, but it's not that thing where you just do it. A lot of people go, Oh, some person writes 4,000 words a day and I can only write five. And that's who I am. I was writing five and it was literally just about trying to find that method. It won't work for everyone, but it's trying to find the method that works for you. And I think at the minute, like I am trying to get back into my writing rhythm. So I'm getting about 2000. I'm trying to build back up to that. So it's not even a thing that you just get to and you keep it there. You have to keep learning and keep, keep improving and keep testing yourself to try and get there. Yeah. And you remind me so much of um, Brandon Sanderson's writing style. He just blows through like the manuscript that he has ahead of time. And he's such a consistent writer that he's punching out like one or two books a year. So he's an Android. I don't even actual genuine Android. I don't know how he does it. And hopefully you're, uh, you're just as good with that because book three, needs to come out soon, uh, especially with how, how book two ended. I know you're probably getting a lot of fans saying that, but it's true. Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm going to, I have a plan. I want it out and I have the pre-order set for December, but that's mostly, it's a, it's a cushion. So the idea for me is that you can set a, a one year pre-order. And um, so that's what I set because if something happens in my life, 
um, I want to give some leeway that I'm not under, put myself under so much pressure that I release a lower quality book because of it. So the idea would be that hopefully that book will be seeing the light of day a lot sooner than December this year. That's just set there just in case. Well, even if it doesn't, even if it doesn't come until December, it'd be a wonderful holiday gift. So it's good either way. <laughs> uh, book a year is no one will complain about. So with that, why don't we jump into your uh, debut novel of Blood and Fire? And if you'll permit me, I'd like to read the blurb and um, just yeah, to get sure. everybody's intro um, into it. Born in fire, tempered in blood. Afira is a land divided by war and mistrust. The high lords of the south quabble and fight only kept in check by the Dragon Guard, traitors of a time long past who serve the Empire of the North. In the remote villages of southern Afira, still reeling from the tragic loss of his brother, Caelan Briar prepares for the proving, a test of courage and skill that not all survive. But when three strangers arrive in the village of Milltown with a secret they are willing to die for, Caelan's world is ripped from under him and he is thrust headfirst into a war that has been raging for centuries. There is no prophecy. His com- coming was not foretold. He bleeds like a man and bleed he will. So right off the bat, you're getting, um, you're getting introduced to more of like, it's kind of like a classical type of story, war, obviously empire, and there's gonna be a, a revolution. There's a, three boys in a village and they're going out to do like a, a skill of strength to prove themselves. And then chaos ensues. And your story has humans, elves, dwarves, and all and dragons, of course. So, when you wrote this book, did you have um, like all those classical things in the back of your mind, or what? When you were planning to write this story, what, how did it unfold to you? Like, what was the first scene you remember? I know it was a mouthful, but <laughs> yeah, it, it's hard to really capture that. I, th- I think this world and story has kind of been stewing in my head for quite a while, and. I knew what I wanted. I think one of the most important things with an author is intent. If you do something accidentally, sometimes it works. But when you do it on purpose, when you, when you make that conscious decision to do something, I think it can come across so much better. And for me, like the intent was this classic fantasy setting. I wanted elves. I wanted dwarves. I wanted to change some things. I didn't want the kind of brushstroke races that are there where they're all exactly the same. I wanted to add texture and depth and change them. I think that will be seen as we go forward, because I think in each book, new things are revealed and unraveled, and we explore different parts of the world. And we're coming into book three, we're going to see a lot more of that. And for me, there's, there's also there's races that are there that still haven't been revealed, and there's, there's more than just that setting. And I think for me... I don't even know if there's a way that I can say this is why I wrote this book or this is where this book happened. It was just this culmination of all of these thoughts and daydreams and and really that just itch to tell this story. I just I had this in my head, this world, and it was gonna come out no matter what happened. Yep, it was, and it's we're all glad that it definitely did happen because <laughs> <laughs> the, the world is a lot better place for it. Um, fantasy and science fiction is a world of just comparisons. We compare, okay, if you like this book, it's going to be like this. If you like this, you're like X, Y, and Z. How would you compare your book to other authors? Because my personal take is it starts off classically kind of like a Lord of the Rings type story. And then you bring in all the outside 
action and you bring all the lore and you bring all that. And the action scenes are fantastic. Remind me a lot of John Gwen. He's one of my favorite authors. Who, what type of authors or readers who read certain authors would flock towards your book? And what do you think uh, is the biggest comparison for this series? Yeah. And I, I think, I think when you compare authors, I think it's important to have a reason why you compare them. So I think for me, like John Gwynn is a fantastic comparison and I would only ever aspire to be as good as he is. But I feel like he, John Gwynn, I probably actually left him out of my influences by accident, but he was a massive influence for me. I devoured um, the Faithful and the Fallen series. Uh, I loved his writing style. And I think he's had the most impact he's had on me is with, is with fighting scenes. I love structurally how he does his fighting scenes how his set and structure changes and, and just how it all works. It's so really, yeah, I can't even, I'm lost for words <laughs> um, with how much I really enjoy how he does that. So I think people who've read John Gwynn would definitely take to my writing style and prose really, really well. I would, I would hope they have. And so far that's been quite a big comparison for that. Um, and then there's also, when you think of world building and scope, like Robert Jordan and Wheel of Time has been something that it gets compared to a lot as well. Um, just because of the scope of it and because I think my writing style and there's the difference where I say you need a reason why because I don't think if you were actually to directly compare my writing style I don't think it's really anything similar to to Robert Jordan's he's obviously a legend but it, they're, 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 they're not similar at all I, I focus on quite different things but when it comes to the world and the the scope of the world building I think that's that's quite a quite a good comparison and a comparison I'd be happy anyone made to be honest. Um, I think those two are probably probably the ones that I would directly compare to for someone to go, if you enjoyed this, chances are you are really going to like this. Uh, definitely John Gwynn, Robert Jordan, Star Worlds, Tolkien as well, especially if you have kind of a hankering for that classic feel of races. And I think a lot of people do. That's something a lot of people really love. You know, you grew up on Tolkien and you go, I don't want these races to disappear. I like reading about them. They're Whether they're different or or similar. I just want to keep reading. Yeah, those, that's a great comparison. Robert Jordan, in terms of the world he's built, in terms of like the different lands and visiting them, and what influences which which land, which ruler has all this stuff. It's, it's a perfect comparison of The Wheel of Time, which is a, a great series if you haven't read it at all. Amazing series. <laughs> Have you watched the show? Yeah. I can tell a little trepidation you have right there. Yeah, yeah. It was one of those, um, I did my best to separate from it. And right. it's one of those things where I think even outside of comparisons to the book, I think the first three episodes were, were very, very weak. They're really choppy. I thought the, the narrative wasn't structured very well. I think in the middle few episodes, I really enjoyed. I had a great time with them. Um, and this is me really pulling back. But I think it's probably the same for me, even the really staunch, um, I stand by this show, people, uh, had issues processing the last episode. And I think if you watch Patrick, Patrick Leo did a YouTube video there recently, and he summarized my, my thoughts in the end of it. And there are a lot of people who will hate me when I say it, but the last episode for me did kind of make it end up feeling like fan fiction because it changed. And it's, I don't mind the changes. And I think it's the thing for me when you have adaptations. I think there's a lot of condescension in kind of like the Twitter, the Twitter sphere, and um, when it comes to both sides of this argument. But I think there was nobody in the world who didn't understand there was going to be changes. 
to a sh- something that massive, 14 book series. But I think when people say the books are so long, you can't adapt them properly. I think they forget that about 40% of Robert Jordan's books were descriptions of clothing. So True. you instantly lose nearly half the material um, simply by going to a visual medium uh, because you, you can show it and see it. But I think for me, what they changed outside, of like just people talk about all that woke crap to go away. All the, act- the casting was fantastic. The actors were amazing. Yeah. I loved, I really loved that. Like Lan, Moraine, Nynaeve for me were better than they were in the books. By Agreed. A, Agreed. By a factor of 10. But for me, it's when he started changing, I say he, and that's wrong. When the, the decisions between Amazon and everyone, uh, they started changing structurally how the world is done how the magic system functions, you're changing core tenets of what the book is. I think for me, that made it hard for me. I think the middle episodes, I was able to really enjoy, separate from the books completely. And I have to separate it from the books. On its own, that was really good. But overall, yeah, I I did struggle. Yeah, I agree. Uh, As a fan, I've listened to all the um, audiobooks. Um, I enjoyed the series. I hold it in high regard for a big influence for many writers today. The show, they did make changes and it's hard to get through a screen adaptation of a famous series without making changes. Um, The one that really bothered me probably was in episode one with Perrin's wife. I felt like it was just added in for no reason. It didn't need to be in there. And the ending, sorry, go ahead. No, I was just about to say that's a big one for me. And I think sometimes I tried to grasp for a while why it bothered me so much outside of the normal, the, the fridging thing. I think what it was, was the reason that for me, that I think a lot of people love The Wheel of Time is the characters and how massively invested you get in the characters and how much you care about them. And there's loads of arguments even for Matt as to what they did with Matt's backstory and whatever anyone's happy or not with that. I, I, I particularly wasn't happy because I thought Abel and Matt's relationship in the books is one of the few healthy portrayals of a father-son relationship and fantasy that I really enjoyed. But I think the problem was for me is they used shortcuts to develop those things. And in doing so, by the end of the eighth episode, I didn't care about anyone. And that character investment was lost. I think by the end of the eighth episode, I didn't care about Perrin. I hadn't barely seen him. I didn't care about Matt or Rand. I hadn't seen him at all. I didn't care about Egwene. I hadn't seen her. The only characters that I cared about were Nanave, Lan, and Moraine because they're the ones that I got shown. They had development, but Matt didn't develop. They showed him as good from the start. They made Abel evil to make Matt good. So there was no movement in his character. He was good from the start, good to the end. And you could see that even the the taint that was in him wasn't him, it was something else. So his character was good the whole way through. Whereas in the books, Matt is an asshole for Mm -hmm. like three books. And then he gets his special abilities and he changes. And that development makes him so interesting. Whereas in this instance, there's no change. Change is what makes these characters good. And for me in the show, there wasn't change. Like from the very start, Perrin's scared of an axe because now he's killed his wife. Whereas that's not development. That's not showing him learning anything. That's just him being the same the whole show. And I think, yeah, that's, sorry, I didn't mean to jump on on that, but it's when you said it, I went, you know what, that is it. That's, that's why it bothered me so much. No, I love talking about these things from fellow Wheel of Time fans, such as yourself, um, to get a different perspective on how the show was viewed versus what like diehard fans and fans of the stories feel 
my wife and I, we enjoyed the show for what it is. And yeah. if you take it for what it is, it's a relatively enjoyable show. And we're going to continue with it because we want to see what, what happens. Of course, I know what happens, but. Uh, no, actually, I don't, I don't know if you do because. <laughs> well, I hope I do. What goes on. Well, I hope I do. No, but I mean, yeah, I hope you do too. <laughs> yeah. So we can separate it, but I know some, um, some fans can't. So uh, fingers crossed that it turns out that they're going to get back oh, on track. I hope it's so. a massive success. I, I would never wish anything bad of it. I want it to be amazing. Yeah. There was just issues that I had processing some of the stuff. And I think that the eighth episode just stabbed me in the heart. Yeah. Um, but I really hope it's amazing. I hope it breaks all records. Same here. And since we're talking about uh, characters, why don't we talk about some of yours? So we'll just focus on the three uh, three boys um, for now. We don't want to get into spoilers later. So we have yeah. Kalen, we have his friend Rist, and we have, is it Dan or Dane? I'm not sure how to pronounce it. Dan. Oh, just Dan. Okay. So each one, they're going through the proofing and they're trying to prove themselves to the, the town elders and, and, and their families. And then no spoilers, but throughout the process, they, they tend to separate and have their own kind of storyline or their own interests. So can you talk about those three characters um, and what was their development like? And what did you want to show with them? And of those three, which one was your hardest one to write? Yeah, absolutely. And to be honest, with those three, I didn't really have any hard times writing them. I, I knew them from the start. I knew what I wanted from them. And I really, and I actually had a couple of readers email me about those three and about their, their relationships together. And, and for me, what I wanted to do was I wanted to show that friendship and show how three guys in, in these settings can show emotion towards each other. I think a lot of it isn't shown in fantasy but show that they truly care about each other. And I think there was a big influence in my upbringing in Dublin as well, where it was kind of a case that if you don't make fun of each other, you don't like each other. Because I make fun of you because I know that you know that I'm joking. And, and that we together understand what's happening. But then if, if I don't know someone very well, I'm not going to say something because I don't want to hurt them inadvertently. And so that, that was a big influence on, on how they interact. But I think for me, I wanted to show these three individuals who had their own complex natures and the way they work and are going to have their own massive um, stories throughout the series. But to show how these three guys can work together and really deeply care that they are family. They grew up as friends, but they would do anything for each other. And it's that was really important for me to portray because I think only realizing it properly afterwards, but I think some of the biggest themes, I don't know if theme, theme probably isn't the right word. So the biggest tenets of, of my stories are hope and family. And it's something that I, I always want, no matter how dark and grim it gets. Um, family born or found and, and hope are, are big things for me. So it was important with those three characters to portray that. Yeah, and their friendship and their love for each other um, just pours through the through the pages. And it's actually funny you say that. I you mentioned I, I make fun of you because I'm just joking around or because I care about you so much. It brought me back to kind of my school days, and it's kind of a weird comparison. But if uh, if I was just a, standing like in a in a classroom and all of a sudden a girl started you know making fun of me or whatever, I didn't know what what that was about at first at first. And then I went home and I told my parents and my brother like, please like 
do you think she might like you? I'm like, why would she pick on me and make fun of me if she likes me? That just doesn't make sense. And then looking illogical back on logic. it. Illogical logic. Uh, and yeah. looking back and I'm like, oh, you know, maybe they had a point, but I just didn't want to see it at the time. So uh, that type of, yeah, that type of relationship, it just pours through the page. And those characters, obviously they're over, it's overshadowed by this big dread that's happening across across Ephira, you have um, orc-like creatures uh, coming out of the forest for the first time in like, I believe it was two years, you said. There's big chaos, there's the empire uh, reaching down on all the village and there's a resistance showing up. How did you try to, how did you incorporate all of this into the, into the story and how did you want this to evolve and what did you want the readers to see in all this struggle? Yeah, I, I think, again, I, I have no problem when it comes to adding tropes into my books because I heard a recent, a really good comment by uh, Zemil um, Akhtar the other day where he was basically saying, it's only a trope if you don't like it. And that was so accurate. Like, you can understand something as a trope, but it only bothers you if it's not a trope that you like. And for me, tropes are the whole reason that you read certain genres. If you have, if you have a, a romance book where they both die at the end, no one's reading the second book because that's not what you want from the book. So for me, I always loved that kind of a looming empire trope. I always really enjoyed that. Now, in my series as well, for me, I have some other things in the background that will turn a lot of it on its head, no spoilers. So it can be more complex than that. But I think what I wanted to show up my writing is this huge epic scope of a world all the different characters, how the different things interact with each other. That it's not just you bring down the evil empire and everyone's happy. If you bring down an evil empire, they're not an evil empire. They might be evil to you, but there's a lot of people who think they're great. But not only that, there's whole economic and infrastructural issues that will happen when you topple a whole system. And inside of that, I wanted to show these deep character moments. I want this, I want the book to be about character. And I want to, I want to have. This massive epic world, but it's not the world you care so much about. It's how the world affects the characters, and like that—that's that was a big thing for me when when writing a book in that kind of way. Yeah, wonderful. And this I have to ask because it's been on Twitter. You released a poll saying which one is which. Ah. I just can't let you get away. You know it's coming. I can't let you get away. I know it's it. coming. Yeah. So. Uh, you you released a, of Blood and Fire first, then you released the novella. Is that is that the correct yeah. sequence of uh, the yeah. fall, which is one of the best novellas I've ever read? It's so it's a lot of action. It's oh, like nonstop, so <laughs> nonstop, and it's very very quick read. You can get through it in less than a day if you wanted to. Which should you read first? Because the, I listened to the audiobook first, and the audiobook has yeah. a Blood and Fire, and then has the fall at the end. And my personal yeah. opinion is. If I hadn't read, or sorry, if I hadn't listened to Of Blood and Fire first, I wouldn't have gotten all the nuances and the lore and the history of what happens in the fall. But yep. some people say you should read the novella first. So I know what I stand. Where do you stand? What do you believe is the best so, way? So it's a really interesting one, and especially if you bring up the audiobook. So actually, the only reason it's at the end of the audiobook is because it would have confused listeners if it was at the start, because they would have thought it's bonus content. So they would have thought that that was the it doesn't work as a prologue to the story and it would have acted like a prologue because a prologue and a prequel, are, I feel are very different um, in, in what they're used for. But yeah, so the fall is really interesting because I actually specifically wrote it so that it could be read either way. And that sounds like a cop-out, but it, 
it was on purpose. So when I was writing it, I wanted it to be something that I could offer someone to show them my writing style. So I want to get someone into my series here. Look at look at this novella. This is where this story is going to go. This is what you're going to see. Um, but then also, I wanted it at the end of my book so that when people read, they can sign up to my newsletter and have something else to, to have there. So I did actually write it so it could be read either way. And the idea would be that it depends on how you like your world, how you like to, to learn in, in series. Do you want everything thrown at you or do you want uh, everything slower and you, you develop as you go? And I think the difference is if you read the fall first, okay, what you get is more mystery. So when you read the fall first, you're going, who's right? Who's wrong? What's happened? And it's questions. And, and you, you try and think of things and you keep it in context of blood and fire and you go, oh, shit, this and this. And then if you read the fall after, then you're linking the things that you saw from the first book. And, and that's why it was so interesting. And I think David or Book, book Meanderings from Bamfile as well, he, he put it really well in that there are very, very few people who have read it one way and switched their mind. So I think whichever way you read it tends to be the way you then go, oh, I want to, I want, I stand for this way. Um, and I think Vivian or Arlena reads, she put up a poll as well. And in, in her poll and my poll, I think between the two of them was nearly 300 votes in them. Both basically ended up as close to 50-50 as you can, which was probably the most vindicating thing I've seen. <laughs> because if it had it been one way or another, I might have to change my approach. But the fact that they were proper, they were nearly 50-50, I was quite happy with that. Yeah, and it's the the novella as it stands on its own is just fantastic. But the fact that you wrote it so it can be read either way is just mind-blowing. I've never seen a novella done that way. Personally, from the way I like to read is I like to absorb like all the history and all the lore and like play like detective and connect the dots or like see the links and what yeah. they do. So that's how I like to read. So that's why I lean more towards... Uh, do it after but sometimes somebody likes more like action and likes more mystery and likes well hold on there's a betrayal here what's happening over there might enjoy it more so i never thought of it that way so i'll definitely keep that in mind yeah it was, go, go but, ahead go ahead i was just, just agreeing when i reread the series when it's all completed i'll look back and i'll read the fall first um and then i'll go through it that way yeah. to just to see how it, how it works it's, just, it's really interesting for me i put up another thing today saying the correct order to read it is the fall of blood and fire and then the fall again um <laughs> i'm mostly as a joke but you can get both of it because i actually it's weird for me all of this has come on so crazy and, and it's only been 10 months and um, since i've been in this now but there's a couple of people who've already done multiple rereads of the series amazing um which is really humbling and honoring and, and crazy um, in, in the best way possible. But there are people then who will go, you've, you've read the, the second book and there's characters in the second book that appear that seem like they're new characters. And then you go back and you realize they were actually in the first book. And it's things like that that I love. And that's the same similar thing with The Fall of Blood and Fire. It, it's reading it that way. You, you're reading of Blood and Fire and you're kind of learning slowly through osmosis. And then you go and you read the second book and then you're linking some dots. And that's definitely, it's something that I really enjoy doing in books. I think I want to be able to give something extra to readers who do that, who do rereads and go back. I want there to be, to be a reason they do it and be value in it. 
Oh, wonderful. Yep. I got the second book right here. It's a big chunker. <laughs> it, it is. Uh, it took me a little bit to get through, but it's just, it's just amazing. So you are 37,000 words, I think. Yeah, this is very long. Yeah. just shy of a thousand pages. So <laughs> plenty yeah. of plenty of meat on the bone here. So with we're talking about novellas, you are writing uh, another novella titled The yeah. Exile that takes place after Of Darkness and Light. Is that correct? Well, so you read it after Darkness and Light, 100 percent. There's no yeah. ambiguity there. Um, but it's set when I, when I try when I write novellas, I like to try and do a few unique things and try some things that I, I don't want to try in my novels. So with, um, with The Fall, I took a very short novella and I wrote in four different POVs, which isn't usually done because it's hard enough to get invested in characters in that short space of time. And so with this novella, I wanted to do kind of time jumps, not backward and forwards, just linearly, but trying to keep the investment with time jumps. So it actually starts 12 years prior to um, the first book and ends basically concurrent with the series. Oh, great. That's that's lovely. And when can we yeah. expect that little bundle of joy? It just depends. Um, I I keep saying I actually wanted it finished already, um, but just life's been hectic. We just we moved continent, just bought a house, all over the place. It's yeah, it's been great, but not conducive to writing. And um, I'm hoping to have it pretty soon. I want to have it in the next month and a half or so, like finished and ready to go. It's just as different processes. I have to finish it, go over it, beta readers, editor, get those processes through. But once it's past the initial writing stage, then I can be nailed on when it's going to be finished because I know how the process works now. So well, hopefully as soon as possible. We'll all be waiting on pins and needles for that one. <laughs> uh, just one more question. Um, with my, um, my hashtag uh, under the radar, I always ask uh, this of my uh, author interviews. Do you have any authors or series who you, do you think to be um, like forgotten or not as much known as should be? And what are you currently reading now? Ooh, that's actually a great question. I'm trying to think now. One, one author that's had a huge resurgence recently and rightfully so is Johnny Wirtz. Um, especially on Twitter. Um, I think, I think those, each social media has its own sphere um, of people and it's all kind of tight-knit and encapsulated. But I think, yeah, Johnny's stuff is, is getting very popular again now which i really 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 like and then like also i would say naomi novik but that might just be for me because i know she's had spitting silver and some other books out in the last while but they just haven't been what i've been been used to um from her other books but i'm trying i'm trying to think there's hundreds of thousands of underserved authors uh and, and picking one is quite tough when when you get asked <laughs> um yeah i can't, I can't my brain can't even function properly I can't think of anyone else. Uh, there's, there's, there's boatloads. Um, as to what I'm currently reading right now, it's been a struggle to try and read. I think reading cuts into writing time. And it's something that I need to factor in because I want to keep reading because I think if you're not reading, you're not learning. But at the minute, currently, I finished Dragon Mage a while ago. I just finished, I finished Shadow of the Gods by John Gwynn. I'm on like the last two chapters of Voice of War by Zach Argo, Great which book. I'm really enjoying. Yeah, really enjoying. And Adam Gold is really is fantastic as a narrator. And I have a lot. I have so many books here now, and uh, the bookshelf behind me, that I need to read. I currently have Empire of the Vampire by Jay Kristoff. I have all uh, the Dandelion Dynasty. I have Empire's Room by Brian Stavely, Nolan by Michael J. Sullivan. Uh, loads behind me here. So that TVR is stacking up. <laughs> 
those Very are all, high. Those are all fantastic authors. Hundred percent agree with Jenny Works. I actually just finished her tenth um, book in the War of Light and Shadow series. Diehard fan, and that's a series where you keep finding secrets the more you look back on it. So that's where that I is grew- something special. Any, any book, any series that can stretch to double figures in books and maintain interest is really special. Uh, it takes a lot of courage for an author to truly dive into that length in series because there's so many risks in it becoming stale. Uh, and yeah, that's incredible. Yep. Does not become stale at all. And we all, we all love her for it. Uh, so this has been so much fun. Uh, before we uh, sign off, why don't you tell uh, the listeners where they can find you on Twitter and your website and where they can subscribe to your uh, newsletter. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, same places. Everyone lurks uh, with Ryan Cahill. I technically pronounce it Cahill, but I've been so long where uh, everyone in America and the UK and Australia and New Zealand pronounces it Cahill that I've just absorbed it. It it is what it is. I have two names. It might be a pseudonym, whatever works. But um, yeah, so go Ryan Cahill, uh, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and then Ryan Cahill author is my website. And you can get that novella, The Fall, for free from there by signing up to the newsletter. And I do not spam. I usually send out when there's some nice news or when some other fantastic authors have great deals in their books. That's the only time you'll usually hear from me. And my sarcastic comments are littering Twitter everywhere. Be sure to subscribe to his newsletter. The fall is fantastic. You'll love it from from start to finish and it'll only get you invested into the series. With that, Ryan, thank you so much for joining me. I really, really appreciate it. And here's uh, hope to getting your book three and novella finished anytime soon. That would be fantastic. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. Cheers.